She's Tori. And he's Nick. And this is I Want to Rewatch. An X-Files adjacent podcast. Kolchek the Night Stalker. Episode 20. The Sentry. In this episode, an underground data storage company uncovers something when they excavate a tunnel nearly two miles underground. Afterward, several employees of the facility are killed by what seems to be an animal. As Kolchak tries to stay one step ahead of the police and the company itself, he investigates the murders and discovers what is killing the employees. But will anyone believe him before it's too late? Hmm, well, let's see. Historically, no. Yeah, I was going to take them <laughs> off, but that would probably take a while. So yeah, let's just go with no. Okay. This episode was written by L. Ford Neal and John Huff. It was directed by Seymour Robbie. Its original air date was Friday, March 28th, 1975 at 8 p.m. No idea what aired the previous week on March 21st. Wasn't Kolchak, unless it was a rerun, which we don't know. We don't know. Nope. And unfortunately, this is the final episode of the Kolchak the Night Stalker series. It was originally scheduled for 26 episodes and then abruptly canceled. So there are three unproduced scripts that exist out there. Yeah. And we'll talk about those a little bit at the end. Yeah, exactly. So we get our opening credit sequence for the last time. They didn't know this was going to be the last episode when it aired. So the fact that it's a little bit different isn't like intentional maybe but anyway we actually get like over a minute of Kolchek driving an electric cart through a series of long dark corridors and there are some overhead lights but they really don't do much as far as lighting goes and the ceilings are low and the walls are close and Kolchek keeps looking back behind him as if he's trying to outrun something and making sure it's not gaining on him so then he pulls into like a little more open area and he turns down another corridor But this one almost immediately stops looking like a finished hallway with walls and ceiling and stuff. And it looks more like a cave. And after driving through the cave a little bit, he stops the vehicle. He gets off it. He looks around and then he crouches behind the vehicle and he speaks into his recorder. This is one story I may not get to file in person. So I'll have to talk fast because it's after me. Claustrophobia has long been a part of the human experience from the Cro-Magnon all the way up to Freud. So if you ever happen to find yourself underground, and I mean deep underground, don't linger in the shadows. And then we cut to two men in a similar vehicle in a similar looking tunnel or cave. It is pitch black. The only light that we see is coming from the flashlight that one of them is holding and from the helmet lamp on the other's head. The Kolchak's voiceover. It's April 30th, 3.20 p.m. Dr. James Verheiden three PhDs in geology and well-known seismic expert was poking around in an undeveloped tunnel of the underground Marymount archive mine complex. Verheiden knew instantly he had found something extraordinary. So did his tool packer, Howard Kemper. So they found something that looks almost like a big geode, except instead of a rock with crystals inside, they find this rock, with like crystal-like blue egg-shaped things inside, almost like giant polished sapphires or something. And Kemper brings over some large stand lamps from the vehicle, and Verheiden lifts the huge rock up, and it looks almost like a nest that's filled with like sapphire-colored eggs or something. Kind of weird. Mm-hmm. 
Anyway, Verheiden loads the rock onto the vehicle and then drives off. I assume he's planning to come back for Kemper at some point after like securing the find or something. There's just not enough room apparently to have the big rock and another passenger. So Kemper goes back to the lights and maybe he's going to look around some more or maybe he's just going to take them apart and, you know, have them ready for when Verheiden returns. And then we get Kolchek's voiceover. Howard Kemper was a good worker. He did what he was told. At least that's what people would say about him at his funeral. Anyway, we hear this kind of echoey roar sound. And then we see this clawed hand swipe out of the darkness and it smashes the lampstands. And so the only light we have is Kemper's helmet. And then another swipe knocks the helmet off of Kemper and sends him to the ground. And then what looks like a dinosaur foot steps on his helmet and crushes the lamp as the screen goes black. Yeah. And then it's commercial. And we know what happens on commercials. I mean, literally, as soon as I saw the eggs, I was like, dinosaur eggs. They found dinosaur eggs. Yeah. That's what always happens when you dig several miles below the earth. It would seem that way, possibly. (laughs) Historical things that should not be dug up. Yeah. So, again, we get title credits over Chicago. And then we see one of the corridors that we saw Kolchek racing through. And it's empty. And he tells us that at 10 a.m., one day after the death of Howard Kemper in the same underground complex, only this time in Sector M, it was business as usual, all except for journeyman electrician Larry Coogan. Coogan had complained to his friends that he didn't like working so far underground. He said it felt like working in a tomb. And today he would learn how right he was. Ooh, Kolchak is just dropping the foreshadowing on these scenes, man. All right. <laughs> so we see Coogan is like changing light bulbs in the corridor and he hears breaking glass and he hears a roar. Mm. And what looks like a bipedal alligator is shattering the light bulbs one by one. Whoa. And in the creeping darkness, Coogan trips and falls and the oh. creature knocks over his ladder and Coogan throws up his hands to protect himself, but unfortunately, it's a futile gesture. Uh oh. So I don't think he's going home. Damn, bipedal alligator. Whoa. Yeah, it's definitely, I mean, it's not a dinosaur, but. Hmm. <laughs> wow. I don't know if maybe it was supposed to be originally, but it doesn't look like one. So it's fine. Right. So then we see Kolchak enter Chicago Police Headquarters. And through the double doors, we see an attractive smiling woman and she enters the hall and she's flanked by reporters and Kolchak is lagging behind. And we learn that this is the detective in charge of the case, Lieutenant Irene Lamont. And she was apparently a fast riser and a one woman phenomenon of the Chicago PD. And her detractors would say that her success was only owed to her looks and femininity. But her supporters were usually too moonstruck to say anything. That's what Kolchak mm. tells us. She's also probably very good at her job and dealing with dudes because she has to deal with the dude bros all the time. So one reporter asks, Lieutenant Lamont, why are you holding back details on this death? And Lamont is like, Lieutenant? Oh, Brian, why so formal? And then he's like, well, Irene. And then Kolchak's like, you haven't answered this man's question. Like, he doesn't care if they're flirting. He's like, mm. answer the question, Lieutenant. So they basically asked why the police department is getting involved in industrial accidents. And Lamont is like, it's just a routine investigation. And Kolchak's like, everything's routine around here, Lieutenant. 
So he's he's pushing. He wants to know more. Yeah, he's also not letting go of that. Like, I'm not going to call you Irene. He's like, Lieutenant, Lieutenant, Lieutenant. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. And the mom's like, well, I have a lot of work to do. And if I don't finish, I'll be booted back down to traffic. You wouldn't want that, would you? And then, like, one of the other reporters is like, make some joke about having to see her back in uniform and hating that, which wink, wink. Anyway, yeah. So. Yeah. And like, like, as she says, he's like, yes, yes, yes. I would like to see you go back to traffic. Coltec doesn't seem to be a fan. So. Yeah. And she thanks them and she goes back into the squad room. And so Kolchak calls the other two reporters schnooks. And they're like, hey, he's up on her, Kolchak. She's just doing her job. And he rolls his eyes. And then one of them leans into him and is like, listen, Kolchak, I'd like to take the lady out. You do anything to bring her down on reporters and you'll have to send away for mail ordered teeth. And Kolchak kind of like pushes him away and calls him dum-dums. And then he goes into the squad room. So then Kolchak, he's in the squad room. He goes over to Lamont's desk and he sets his recorder down and turns on. He's like, let's talk turkey. And she reaches over and she's like, Carl. And she turns off the recorder. She's like, I like you. I really do. I mean, I like your style. I like your savoir faire. I like your directness, the way you take over a situation. I even like the way you dress. Kolchak is like, but... And she's like, but we've got nothing to talk about. So then Kolchak puts on this, I'm going to call it like a schoolboy voice. He does like an affectation. He's like, okay, Irene, I like you too. I like your nose and your eyes and your earlobes and all of that. And he's like, okay, so now that we like each other so much, why don't you elucidate on the rumor that I have heard that you're not allowing the relatives to identify the bodies? And she's like, smacks her desk. It's like, that's how rumors get started. True. They did ID the bodies from the ID that they were carrying, but they did not forbid the relatives from seeing the bodies. The bodies were just so mangled that they thought they would spare the families the anguish of seeing their you know, loved ones like that. So Kolchak is like, yeah, sure, sure. He's like, why haven't you told us anything about the way they were killed or what the accidents were? Like, what were they? And he's kind of getting loud. And so she like puts her hand on his shoulder and puts her other hand on his chest and kind of pulls him close. And he's kind of like, what are you doing? What are you kind of gets a little flustered. And she tells him that when you're dealing with the Marymount Archive Corporation, there are very special problems. They store corporate records. They even store records for the federal government. So they are just following ordinary security precautions. So Coltex is like, well, what ordinary security precautions? Who's ordinary security precautions? And she's like, I'm extremely busy right now. And I have an awful lot of things to do, Kolchak. And he's like, yeah, right. You're going to be late for that autopsy report on the electrician, right? And she's like, right. And then she realizes that she just basically gave him information. And like, he's walking away and he's smirking. And she's like, <laughs> Carl. And so, yeah. Yep. And I have to say, that is some on-screen chemistry. And that is because Lieutenant Irene Lamont is played by Kathy Brown. And you're thinking, so? She's also known as Kathy Brown McGavin. They were married in 1969, and they remained married until her death in 2003. Nice. Yeah, although, I mean, we've seen just dating someone in real life or being with someone does not necessarily equate to on-screen chemistry. That's why I'm saying that is on-screen chemistry, though. Yeah, but they do have... They do have pretty good chemistry. Yeah, we have definitely seen that if you're dating someone, uh, you cannot have on-screen chemistry. Yes, we have definitely seen that. Yeah, it definitely happens. Yeah. 
we've seen it what uh three times no just kidding <laughs> definitely an episode well it's definitely um, happened with like Duchovny and his girlfriends I feel like yeah they probably yeah. have great chemistry in real life but like on screen the few that we've seen have not been great so yeah um and three is what I was getting at was, well three but also like wasn't Phoebe wasn't he dating her no, he was just oh. he was supposed he was, in the episode they had had a previous oh, relationship. Okay. No, he didn't. Date. I was thinking yeah. she was played by a girlfriend no. as well. Okay, no, well, a, yeah, that no, case, that's Amanda Page. She was in Max Headroom and she was. Oh, in the Flash, right, right, but, right, right. Yeah, but yeah. They, no, they didn't date. They just they just also didn't really have any chemistry, even though they were right, to have yeah. like a super Which, hot relationship in the past. So yeah. And sometimes I mean they do when they cast people they do try and cast for chemistry for things like that, but sometimes. It maybe shows up in the audition and maybe for some reason doesn't work on screen. Yeah. And, you know, it's one of those subjective things anyway. Anyhow, <laughs> mm-hmm. Kathy Brown and Darren McGavin do have some nice chemistry going. So, yep. And then we see three men in surgical gear and they're walking through a hospital hallway. And Kolchak comes out of a closet and he's also dressed like a surgeon. And he falls <laughs> into step behind them. And they pass the nurse's station and several police officers, including Lamont. So Kolchak pulls up his surgical mask so that you can't see his face. And the police kind of follow them and they head to like the autopsy suite. And Lamont does look like maybe she recognizes Kolchak. It's not completely clear, but she does kind of give him like a second look. Yeah. And so inside the medical suite, Kolchak keeps his back to the window where the police are looking through. And inside, the chief examiner announces that they're doing the autopsy on Lawrence Earl Coogan. And the autopsy will be conducted by Lamar Beckwith, assisted by Drs. Gordon, Phillips, and he doesn't know who Kolchik is. And Kolchik's like, Kolchikovsky, because he remembers that <laughs> the officers are there and they can probably hear them. Um, and he's like, I, I'm new and I was told to come down and observe your procedures. And Dr. Beckwith is like, well, why are you wearing a mask? I, I kind of want to know why the others aren't wearing a mask, but mm, okay. I mean, I guess the guy's dead. I mean, we, we do know that masks are more for other people than they are for you. So yeah. And it's not like you're going to give a dead guy a cold, but anyway, Kolchak yeah. is, Oh, I have a cold. And so Beckwith is like, well, please step back a little. I'm very susceptible. So Kolchak steps back. Yeah. Cause um, he's not a jerk. So yeah, exactly. Yeah. So they start to go through the autopsy and measure the body, but then, Beckwith reaches up and he turns off the speaker recorder and outside Lamont turns to the gathered officers and says, well, it looks like our dear coroner wants a little privacy. And inside Beckwith says, just like the first man, deep puncture marks like teeth and Kolchak's like teeth. Did you say teeth? And Beckwith is like, yes, teeth and not a dog's teeth. These teeth marks are not those of a mammal, but those of a reptile. And then Kolchak's like, this man was bitten to death by a crocodile? And Beckwith rolls his eyes and is like, kind of getting suspicious at Kolchak because he's not really acting like a doctor, I guess. And so Kolchak looks at his watch and says, well, it's Wednesday. I think I'll go out on the golf course and hit a bucket of balls. Thank you, gentlemen. And then he like makes a beeline for the door and leaves. Yep. And then it's a commercial. So I was actually surprised in this because I did not realize that whole like over the body recorder thing was something that happened was that old. I mean, I guess it makes sense, but like we see it in the X-Files, like Scully does that periodically, like there's something above that she like, you know, flips and then she does her announcements of what is going on. Right. Well, because you don't want to have to hold the recorder while you're 
get right. But I just so. didn't realize it was like built into the system. And then obviously there's a speaker system too for the people outside, at least in this one. So mm-hmm. yeah. So interesting. So maybe there's two controls. Maybe he kept the recorder going, but turned off the speaker. I don't. I don't know. But yeah. But I was. Just, I thought that was like, oh hell, I've seen that before. I didn't really know it was a thing. Cool. I thought it was just maybe a TV thing. Anyway, <laughs> no, it's or at least if it is, then it's not just an X Files <laughs> TV thing. I don't know. Yeah, no, I don't know. A TV <laughs> thing. I don't know if that's really how they do it. I would assume so, and that's where they got it. It from makes TV. sense. Who knows? Yeah. 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 So Kolchak pulls up to a large glass office building, kind of in the middle of nowhere, honestly. But it's like this big glass office building. And the sign outside has a red, white, and blue logo. And it says MA Incorporated across like a shield. And then the sign itself is all Marymount Archive Incorporated Underground Repository Vault. Kolchak gets out of his car and he takes his hat off. And he opens this big briefcase that he has and he puts his hat in it and then he closes the briefcase and then he heads into Marymount Archive Incorporated. And so it turns out that Marymount Archive Incorporated is really two miles below the welcome mat. The real stuff happens down below. Acre upon acre of underground storage vaults packed with computer tapes bearing corporate records from three continents. Preservation through perpetuity was their company motto. And so Kolchak walks right past the reception desk and a man who's kind of standing there talking to the receptionist like stops him and it's like, can I help you? And Kolchak's like, oh, my company's interested in leasing some storage here. How soon can I get an estimate? And he's like, I got to catch the five o'clock plane to Winnipeg. And so the man is like, oh, we can see to it that you catch that big bird with plenty of time. And he introduces himself as Jack Flaherty, vice president and general sales manager. And Flaherty asks Kolchak what the name of his firm is. And Kolchak is like, International Nickel Syndicate, INS. And he introduces himself, Carl Kolchak. And Flaherty says he hasn't heard of them. And Kolchak's like, well, we're a new, young, growing cartel. And he just got in from Santiago. And Flaherty says, oh, well, precious metals do command quite a bit of respect these days. And Kolchak is like, yes, 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 yes. So. (laughs) Yeah. And Jack Flaherty is played by Tom Bosley who most people probably know as Mr. C, Richie Cunningham's dad on Happy Days. Also Joni's dad, I guess I should say. And and their brother, whose name I can't remember, who disappeared after like the first season. But he has played in a lot of stuff. And he was Father Dowling in the Father Dowling Mysteries. And then he was also Jessica Fletcher's sheriff buddy in Murder, She Wrote. Nice. So, yeah. yeah, I knew he looked familiar. I just... Didn't really know where from, but probably Murder, She Wrote, because I've seen that show a lot. You never watched the Father Dowling Mysteries? I never did. No, I watched um, Murder, She Wrote, Matlock. I watched a couple Columbo, but I was never as into Columbo and just just didn't see Mm. it. Wasn't on TV as much, I guess. But yeah, I think Father Dowling Dowling was after Murder, She Wrote or after at least after he was on Murder, She Wrote, I think, because he was like a semi recurring character. I think he was like in. I forget. He was in a bunch of episodes, but yeah. Well, a lot of stuff happens in like the little town where she lives, but then she travels around too. So yeah, because like he was everywhere. yeah, because he was the sheriff in their little. What was that town called? Oh my god, I've been there because it's at Universal Studios. If um, you said it, I would be like yes, but I can't think of it. So yeah, exactly. It's one of those things that I should know, and I've. Yeah, yeah, it's like banging. My brain, it's like but... banging around in the back of my head, but I cannot tell you what it is. Right yeah, now. I'll think so. of it at like four a.m. and I'll wake up and I'll be like, "Oh, <laughs> cool." Well, you can jump on Zoom and record it, and then I'll splice it in, and we'll sound super smart. 
So, yeah. <laughs> but anyway, yeah, I haven't seen Murder yeah. She Wrote in a while. So, <laughs> okay, yeah. So they're standing in front of a bunch of elevators, and Kolchak is like, "Are we going down?" And Flaherty tells him, "Today is actually a really bad day. Uh, they're opening a new sector." And Kolchak looks super annoyed. He's like still in character, and he's like, "Jack, I said I'm in a very big rush. I told you I just got in from Santiago. I've got to get up to Winnipeg, and from there I go to Hongshu, and then back to Albuquerque." And Flaherty is like, well, I can, I can give you the estimate and then you can come back and see the facility some other time. No problem. And Kolchak is like, there is no other time, unfortunately, you see. And then someone comes out of an elevator and so Kolchak just like, boom, just goes in. And he's like, you got to break some eggs in order to make an omelet. Come on, Jack. And Flaherty <laughs> is like, oh. so he like joins Kolchak in the elevator. So yeah, Kolchak is very good at the fast talking disguises. Not so good at the pretending to know things disguises. Like, yeah, it's true. Like he can talk his way, but if he has to talk his way to where he has to know things, then he's not mm-hmm. so good because he messes up. So, yeah. Yeah. So, Flaherty tells Kolchak to brace himself because they'll be descending at the rate of 200 feet per second. And then he starts to tell Kolchak about the services they offer. And you can tell that Kolchak's stomach has kind of risen into his throat and his ears are popping because they're going down so far. And so they finally reach 10,000 feet down and they exit. And Kolchak's still trying to pop his ears and he's a little unsteady. And Flattery is telling him how the facility is quick proof, flood proof. It could even withstand a nuclear bomb. And Kolchak jokes that when everything class upstairs, Ma Bell will still be able to tell him what their phone bill is. Because, you know, the corporate records will be safe. Mm-hmm. So a man in a green safety helmet interrupts and he asks Flattery how he likes it. And Flattery's like, what, Chapman? And the man, Chapman, says, oh, you haven't been listening to your phone messages, huh? And Chapman's like, well, when you do, you'll be hearing from our union liaison. He and his men are not going to work there with all the things that have been going on without additional compensation. And Flattery's like, oh, it's not the time to be discussing these negotiations. I'm with the client. And Chapman's like, fine. And he leaves. And so Flattery, like, you know, tries to minimize the situation and tells Kolchak that the recession has everyone in a bad mood. And then outside, we see a patrol car approaching Marymount Archive Incorporated. And it parks right in front of Kolchak's Mustang. And Lamont, a detective, and then two uniformed patrolmen get out. And Lamont recognizes Kolchak's car. And she calls it a yellow submarine. So again, they're like doing the disparaging remarks and what everyone would kind of consider is a classic vehicle anyway. And so then they enter the building and there she's walking like, man, she's going to get cold check. She's not like, what is he doing here? So they go in and Lamont asks the receptionist, if a guy with a seersucker suit and red hair had come in and the receptionist says that Mr. Kolchak from a nickel company came in earlier. Lamont says he's got nothing to do with nickels. He's a proverbial bad penny. And she asks where he is. And then we see that Flaherty is walking around, still telling Kolchak about all their services and with how the facility works. And Kolchak is like, I heard you had some problems. And Flaherty says he can't speak about those. In a company this large, there are bound to be some industrial accidents. And then they walk past a corridor, Section P, that is blocked off. It's like a security desk in front of it. And it's like, no admittance without proper authorization. It's like a security guard sitting at the desk. And Kolchak's like, what's the deal with that? And Flaherty says that some of their clients request additional security measures. And Kolchak is like, oh, does this client have a long white beard and a tall hat and wears a red and white blue suit? 
And Flaherty's like, oh, you're very astute. And he says he'll show Kolchak their nerve center. So government. Yeah. So inside the nerve center, Dr. James Verheiden, who we saw a little bit earlier, is ranting about how he's been asking for something to be done and no one is listening to him. He says it's going to be like Utah all over again. And he's like, have I ever told you what happened to me in Utah? And a woman who will learn is Ruth Van Galen is like, yes, you have a few times, actually. And then Flaherty and Kolchak come in and Verheiden is like, speak of the devil. And he wants to know when the locks on his office and storerooms are going to be changed. And Flaherty says that he put the work order in and asked if Verheiden is maybe just being a little oversensitive. And Verheiden's like, paranoid? Do you mean paranoid? And he's like, no one is paranoid in the Soviet Union. Do you know why? Because everyone is being watched and plotted against. And only an insane man feels secure. And that is the same thing here. So he's not happy. No, he's definitely not. No. Verheiden says there's been mysterious occurrences and strange people who aren't what they appear to be. And he points at Kolchak and he's like, for example, just who are you? And Flaherty is like, dude, just calm down. Mr. Kolchak is a potential new client. Like, don't ruin our business. And Verheiden says that if he is a new client, he is Mickey Mantle. So he doesn't believe it. And then he tells Flaherty that you're in on this. You're in on this. And if you're not, you're a pathetic judge of character. Get the locks changed or I'll go over your head. And then he storms out. So, yeah, <laughs> not happy. Not a happy dude. Not happy at all. No. So Flaherty apologizes and Kolchak's like, oh, it's no problem. He knows someone almost exactly like that. <laughs> and then he asks who he is. And Ruth Van Galen tells them that he's Dr. James Verheiden, government geologist. Their facility is a prime location for taking seismic readings because they're in such a stable area. So they can measure like long distance seismic activity without the local area like affecting it. And Kolchak asked what he meant when he was talking about people not being who they appear to be. And Flattery and Van Galen share a look and Flattery kind of changes the subject by apologizing for his manners. And he introduces Kolchak to Van Galen. She is the director of their data storage. And he tells Kolchak she'll be in charge of putting the whole history of his company in storage. And Kolchak's like, huh, I hope not the whole history. Wink, wink, because obviously just joking around. And they all smile. And then Flaherty takes him over to see some of the hardware. And the phone rings and Van Galen answers. And she calls to Flaherty that it's for him. So Flaherty's like, okay. So he leaves Kolchak looking at some of the stuff and goes to take the call. And Flaherty is like, Lieutenant Lamont. Okay, put her through. And of course, Kolchak hears Lamont's name and he is immediately like booking it out. So he like kind of heads out the side door while Flattery is talking to her. And so he's like, oh, yes, Mr. Kolchak's right here. And then he looks around and of course, Kolchak has just slipped out. And in the hallway, Kolchak's trying to figure out how to escape. And so he ducks into a room that turns out to be the cafeteria. And then he sees Chapman, who's the man in the green safety helmet from earlier, sitting at a table alone. So Kolchak buys some coffee from a machine and then goes to sit down with him. And at first Kolchak's like, can I sit with you? And Chapman's like, oh, whatever. And so Kolchak asks how union negotiations are going. And Chapman's like, slow. The only thing that happens fast around here are accidents. Bang, bang, two of them, just like that. And Kolchak's like, well, what do you think caused those accidents? So Chapman realizes that Kolchak is not actually looking to buy storage. And Kolchak agrees that he's right. He's undercover. And Chapman's like, well, I tried to tell you cops what, what happened and no one would listen to me. And Kolchak's like, do I look like a cop? And Chapman's like, well, who are you? And so Kolchak tells him that he's an insurance investigator. 
And if Chapman can help him, he'll make it worth his time. And Chapman asks how Kolchak knows what his time is worth. And so Kolchak holds up a 20 and Chapman's like, are you kidding? I make that in like 10 minutes. And so Kolchak's like, well, what about two? Because I mean, that's 40 bucks is basically all he has. So Chapman takes the money. And I got to say, man. Yeah. $20 in 10 minutes. I was just thinking about that. I was like, money. damn it. And in 1975? Oof. Holy cow. That's a lot. And they get me a union job underground in 1975. Yeah, because what was it? 250 was worth like 1250. And so, whew, yeah. Man, yeah. Dang. So the dude makes like 100 bucks an hour, supposedly, Oof. or 100 bucks every 10 minutes, which is like 600, 600 bucks an hour seems excessive. He, I mean, he might be being hyperbolic. I don't know. But anyway, yeah. So anyway, he takes Kolchak's money, as Tori said. And then Kolchak asks about the first accident, Kemper. And Chapman says that no one really knows what happened, just that he worked for Verheiden. And Kolchak is like, yeah, that guy has some problems. And Chapman's kind of dismissive and he tells Kolchak a story about Verheiden's big problem. So he doesn't think Verheiden's problem is much of a problem, right? Like, oh, poor me kind of stuff. Anyway, he tells him that he was a professor in Utah and he found these super valuable rocks. And Chapman is like, a rock is a rock. So anyway, these rocks were a big deal, apparently. And Verheiden crates them up and puts them on a flat car to ship them back east. And then Chapman starts laughing and says, but some other geologist came over and erased Verheiden's name from the crates and put his own name, and had them shipped to himself and then got all the credit. And he's laughing. He thinks it's hilarious. And so Kolchak kind of like performity laughs because that's not really funny. That's kind of messed up. But then he asked where Kemper's body was found. And Chapman says, Sector R. There's a natural rock tunnel there that hasn't been used since the salt mining days. There's some hot springs down there, and they can't use that area to store data because of all the moisture. Mm-hmm. And so Kolchak asked if Coogan was also killed in Sector R. And he's like, no, he was found in Sector M. And then this little subtle alarm goes off. It's like this little, it looks like a smoke detector almost on the wall. And a little light goes on, a little red light, and it's all ding, ding. And Chapman's like, ah, oh, the alarm, crummy alarm. Like, I wonder what it is this time. And he tells Kolchak they always want his men to go around looking for trespassers. And Kolchak asks how to get to sectors R and M. And Chapman's like, you follow the signs. Like, there's signs everywhere, right? You follow them. And he's like, but you're a fool to go down there unless you're getting extra hazard pay. And so Kolchak thanks him and takes off. Because I think Kolchak realizes that they're looking for him. Yes. Which is why the alarm went off. So uh-huh. the fact that Chapman didn't realize that is maybe, I don't know. But anyway, yeah. Yeah, it doesn't seem like Chapman realizes it, which he should, because he no. knows that Kolchak is not who he claims to be. But maybe he thinks right. Kolchak's yeah. supposed to be down there because he was kind of brought down there. So, yeah. But anyway, yeah, because Kolchak did tell him he was undercover. So, but anyway, so Kolchak hops on a parked electric cart. He drives off. At first, he can't really drive that well. He almost hits a wall a couple of times. And then he turns a corner. And as he does, a man in an orange safety helmet, like a tan, like coveralls, an orange safety helmet, takes a photo of him as he passes by that's probably not going to end well and then Coltech stops at a map section and he finds sector m and he goes in he walks in there he doesn't drive in there and it's super dark because all the lights are busted out right and coogan's ladder is still lying on the ground and Coltech steps on some glass and he realizes it's from the light bulbs which is why it's so dark in there so he uses his flashlight and he looks up at the ceiling and he sees that all the fixtures are smashed and then he hears this roaring sound and then he sees the creature. And again, it looks like a bipedal alligator. So Kolchak takes some pictures, of course, and then he runs. 
and he trips over Coogan's ladder and then he gets up and he just runs all the way down the hallway because he was like way down in the hallway. And then he hops on his electric cart that he left there and he starts to head down to Sector N. But then, and I'm not sure why, but then he's like, he realizes where he's going and I'm not sure what the deal is with Sector N, but he turns around and hits the wall a couple of times and he instead he heads down Sector O. But then somehow the creature or another creature, we're not sure, appears in Sector O's corridor and there's like zero room to turn around in these corridors. Like think Austin Powers if you haven't been already. And so he leaps off the cart and it rams into the creature. But then the creature knocks the cart aside ugh, like it was just styrofoam. And then Colchick gets up and runs. <laughs> so, yeah. Yeah, he bolts, which is a smart, smart move. Yeah. But from the very first scene, I was thinking about Austin Powers. So. Oh, yeah. I did not. But yeah, I can definitely uh, yeah. see that. I was I always think of just the airport whenever I see those carts. So I'm just like, oh, so yeah. my head goes. It's just we, I I drove one like that. Well, not exactly like that, but we had electric carts when I worked at the Bellagio, and we would have yeah, to okay, I could see that rooms like that. Yeah, you put all yeah. the food on a cart and then pull the cart with the electric cart. Yeah, I ripped some doors off the wall one time. <laughs> in trouble. Anyway, well, yeah, I can yeah. imagine. Well, they were they were back. automatic doors, and like someone like the person in front of me went through. And so I went through, but like the sensor didn't realize there was another person there. So the door started to close as I went through. It's so like my cart got through, but then they closed enough. So the, the, the trailer that I was pulling caught the doors and ripped them the other way around. Oh no. Yeah. Oh, so no. I wasn't allowed to drive carts for a while. It was cool. Anyway. <laughs> so Kolchak runs into the cafeteria and unfortunately right into the arms of the police and Lieutenant Lamont. So she cuffs him and she tells him that he's under arrest for impersonating a doctor. So she did know that was Kolchak and she should have grabbed him at the morgue, but he's also under arrest for trespassing in the security area. And he basically tries to tell her like, there's something out there. There's a monster or whatever. And of course no one listens. And meanwhile, a police detective opens his camera and takes Kolchak's film. And of course, Kolchak has photos of the monster. So he protests, but Lamont's like, no pictures are allowed. This is a classified area. And then Flattery runs in and he says that he knew something was suspicious about Kolchak, but he played along and he figured if he gave Kolchak enough rope, he'd hang himself. And Kolchak is like, no, you you were fooled. You believed I was a prospective client. Yeah. Um, and then he asked them again to listen because he has this news about this monster. And Lamont's like, we are listening. And Kolchak's like, it's going to sound crazy, but there's some sort of reptilian creature out there. None of them are safe. And Lamont's like, will you please just go quietly? And then some cop or security guard grabs Kolchak and he's like, doesn't care if he'll go quietly or loudly. He's just going to drag him out either way. So Lamont apologizes to Flattery and she leaves. But Flattery doesn't look like he totally disbelieved what Kolchak was saying about the lizard monster thing. Yeah, he so. was kind of thinking like, hmm, yeah. Yeah. Got a weird expression on his face. Yeah. So as they escort Kolchak out, there's a huge group of men and they're all in orange safety helmets and they're in the lobby. And one of them's like, that's him. And the man in charge of the group stops Lamont and he's like, I'm going to take this man into custody. He was in a classified area and it's our jurisdiction. But Lamont's like, well, sorry, he's in our custody and we have him on a prior charge. And the man does kind of let them go, but he bites down on his cigar and he's like, well, you better be sure to take care of things. 
And so Kolchak's like, who is that guy? And the mod's like, he's with the water department. Can't he read? Because their helmets all say water department on him. They're not with the water department. There's no way. <laughs> but they're having some leak problems down below, I guess. So that's why the water department is there. And he's like, what do they want me for? Leaky faucets? There's a lizard creature down there. Why won't you listen to me? And Lamont asks him if he's ever been maced. And Kolchak says no. And then they escort him out of the building. So she's not going to help him catch the lizard monster. Yeah. And then we have a commercial. And yes, that dude is totally military. Oh, yeah. Totally 100%. 100%. There's no way yeah. he's like any of those guys are water department. And the water department's going to take people into custody. Yeah. They're yeah. all like some kind of military, like trying to keep things secure maybe secret government stuff who knows yep so then we get this relatively long section of city views i think they're maybe padding the episode a little bit we get some music and then we watch the train go past and we're in ins offices and inside we see kolchek and vincenzo and vincenzo has like a like a soda cup you know slurping some soda and have a straw and he's got like a burger or a sandwich wrapped in some paper that he's eating and Vincenzo says that bailing Kolchak out of jail has released about a quarter of hydrochloric acid in his gut. So he's still having some uh, ulcer problems, apparently. And he says not to mention missing lunch, which is murder on his digestion. And Kolchak's like, don't worry, it'll be worth it. But Tony does not want to hear any more about his giant lizard. Okay, but so you know he- that Kolchak <laughs> would not shut up about the giant lizard like the entire time from the time Vincenzo <laughs> bailed him out. They get in the car. Vincenzo goes through a drive-thru because he's starving. And the whole time, Kolchak's just going on. And on about I'm, I'm going to bet that it was probably a walk-up and not a drive-thru. But... Maybe. But either way, yeah. he has been hearing about this the entire way. <laughs> so I'm sure he is done now. <laughs> Maybe. Maybe. Yeah. But yeah, he's obviously heard it because he's like, oh, I don't want to hear about it. He already knows about the big lizard. He doesn't yeah, want to hear any more about yeah, it. So. He's done. Yeah. He's heard it. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> He wants Kolchak to leave the authorities and Marymount alone. And Kolchak's muttering, like, as he's telling Kolchak this, Kolchak's like, yeah, I'm going to rip the lid off that lizard creature affair, and I'm going to find out who those guys in the water department are. And he's just kind of, like, rambling like a crazy person. And <laughs> Kolchak picks up the phone, he dials a number, and he's like, is Arnie Wisemore there? And Vincenzo's like, Arnie Wisemore? Isn't he in prison? And Kolchak's like, no, of course not. He's on parole. And so he tells Arnie as a job for him. And apparently Arnie thinks the job is that he's supposed to break Vincenzo's arms. And so like <laughs> over the phone, Kolchak is like, no, I don't want you to. He's my boss. I know. But no, it's not, that's not the job I want you to do. Okay, we just listen <laughs> to me. And so Vincenzo's listening to all this. And he says he wants Arnie Wisemore to deliver a package for him. But he can't give him any details right now because obviously Vincenzo's right there. And he's like, I'll call you later. And Vincenzo's like, drop the whole thing now. Just drop it. And Kolchak asks what Lieutenant Irene Lamont has done to him. Did she run her fingers through his hair and tassel his curves and compliment him on his aftershave lotion? And Vincenzo says Kolchak is being ridiculous, but she is a very charming woman. And Kolchak's like, "Uh uh-huh, yep. And Vincenzo says that he and Lamont have an understanding like two professionals. He told her that he would agree to backpedal a while to keep Kolchak from hindering her investigation and that she in turn agree that if anything major happened at Marymount that she would call the exclusive in directly to him and Kolchak's like to you and he's like to me and Kolchak's like not to me and he's like no and Kolchak's like to you 
He's like, yes. And Coltec calls him a sucker that she's never going to call. They've got a lid on this thing. And Kolchak thinks it comes from very high up. Vincenzo said, if that was true, she would have told him about it. And Kolchak's like, do you really believe that? And Vincenzo's like, I do. And Kolchak says, he thinks all the bicarbonate that Tony's been drinking has put bubbles in his brain. Vincenzo says the issue is not his intake of bicarbonate. It's how Kolchak follows, or more importantly, does not follow his directives. He says he's trying to establish a professional working rapport with the lieutenant. Kolchak's like, oh, is that what you're doing? And he doesn't want Kolchak jeopardizing it. He tells Kolchak that he has aggravated this sweet young woman in spite of all the kindness she's extended to him. Kolchak is just basically losing. He's like, sweet young woman, she's about as kind as an SS Strafbahnhofer. No, Strafbahn, a German plane or something. I don't know. It's some German thing that I can't pronounce. Sturmbahnfuhrer. Yes, something like that. And Kolchak makes a lot of World War II references in these episodes that I just can't pronounce. Anyway, Kolchak says he's leaving. He's going to Marymount. And he tells Vincenzo not to yell at him like he usually does because it'll just rile his bile. And he like taps Vincenzo on the stomach and he leaves. And then Vincenzo burps. Mm-hmm. Scene is over. So then Kolchak's in a warehouse and he's reading a book about reptiles. Well, Arnie Wisemore and his assistant prep a crate that has precision instruments and fragile stenciled all over it. Fragile. Yeah. And from the book, Kolchak learns that some reptiles are photophobic because they're afraid of light, but he hasn't seen any that walk upright. And Wisemore's like, we're ready. And so Kolchak climbs into the crate and the plan is they're going to deliver it to Marymore Archive Incorporated. So they deliver it and workmen there take delivery of the crate and Wisemore and his assistant kind of exchange a look and then they leave as the crate is wheeled into an elevator because they believe it's some kind of precision instrument and fragile. So Kolchak's pretty trusting getting into a crate like that, but you know, hey, it worked out. So inside the crate, Kolchak tries to keep quiet as his ears pop and the elevator descends. And then the crate is put in a hallway and a group of six, quote unquote, water department employees march by in formation. So he kind of like tips up the lid, sees them march by. Yeah, I don't know that water department dudes like march in formation usually. Yeah, I don't don't think they're really with the water department. Oh, (laughs) I don't think their hats say water department and they're wearing like... (laughs) Very clever hat. Overalls. So Kolchak climbs out and he heads down the hallway that they had come from. So he goes in the opposite direction. And at the entry to Sector M, Lamont is interviewing Verheiden, who says that all they found in Sector R were several large agate specimens and Howard was fine when he left him. And Lamont asked him to tell her the whole story one more time. So like go over it again, basically. Yeah. They've been talking to him for a while, obviously. Yeah. And Kolchak, you know, sees them. And so he doesn't want to be seen by them. So he runs back the way he came and he uses a directory on the wall to find Verheiden's office, which is 057. And obviously Verheiden is not in his office because he's being interviewed by the cops. So he goes in and it's not locked, even though Verheiden was like really paranoid about security. So that is interesting. Maybe the police made him paranoid. He was overly sensitive. Yeah. And maybe the police had him unlock it so they could look around and then pulled him away. But there are seismographs running and lots of rocks on shelves. And Kolchak notices a smell in there. And then on the table, he finds what looks like a broken hollow egg, but it's made out of like blue glass. And he looks at it with his flashlight and the door clicks and the light comes on and Verheiden enters. And he asks Kolchak what he's doing in his office. 
and Kolchak holds up a fragment of blue glass and he asks if it's part of the agates he and Kimper found. And Verheiden says no. And he asks Kolchak to please put it down and that he has 30 seconds to get out of his office. But then there's a noise in the wall and Kolchak is like, did you hear that? And Verheiden says no. And he tells Kolchak to get out. And Kolchak's like, sure, sure. After Verheiden shows him the agate that he and Kimper found. And Verheiden says he's tired of people trying to steal from him. And he starts to go into his Utah story about how he lost those rocks. And Kolchak is like, yeah, yeah, sorry, relax. Like, but what do you think is so amazing in here that people would want to steal it from you? That? It can't be that. And he goes over and he picks up a piece of like the broken blue glass stuff. And Verheiden is like losing his mind at this point. He's like, he's turning purple and he's kind of shaking. And he tells Kolchak to put it down. And Kolchak is like, hey, you know, it kind of looks like an eggshell. Is it like an eggshell to you? And Verheiden says, no. And again, he like, put it down. And Kolchak asks what Verheiden knows about reptiles. And Verheiden's like, nothing. They aren't in my field. And he's like totally like shaking at this point. And he's totally turning purple. And he tells Kolchak to put it down. And Kolchak asks if he found this in Sector R. And Verheiden's like, I'm going to have you arrested again. And he goes over the phone. But then the sound on the wall is kind of louder. And a map falls off the wall. And then when the map falls off the wall, the bricks behind it like start to pop out of the wall. Not cool. And then the creature bursts through the wall. Oh. And Kolchak's like, Verheiden, get out of here. Like, run. But he doesn't. And the creature smashes a big computer that's on the wall. Because it's 1975. So you got like a big wall-sized computer. He smashes it. And apparently it like blows a fuse and makes all the lights go out. And so Kolchak snaps some photos because it's Kolchak. And the creature does not like Kolchak taking photos. Probably doesn't like it either when Verheiden like runs at him with a pickaxe and tries to hit him in the head. Because he knocks Verheiden across the room and like over a table. And then he flips over a table. And then the creature turns toward Kolchak. So Kolchak runs and he runs out in the hall. And there's a group of the water department dudes there. Um, they all have M16s. <laughs> and one of them pushes Kolchak to the side. And the creature comes out and they're like, open fire. But the creature just basically wipes the floor with all of them. And they're all just laying on the floor, maybe dead. We don't know. And the creature heads down the hallway. So Kolchak like looks at one of the dudes laying on the ground and he's wearing dog tags. So Kolchak like lays the dog tags up on the man's chest and he starts taking photos as evidence, right? We assume the guy's probably dead, but then also then he can find a way to track out who these dudes are. And then as he's taking the photos behind him, we see someone walking up and Kolchak finishes and he turns around and he's looking at the legs of Lieutenant Lamont. And so he kind of adjusts his hat. And he looks up at her, and we go to commercial. Yep. He's busted. He is so busted. So busted. So in the cafeteria, Lamont forces Kolchak to expose his film. And several water department employees are standing in the background, including the one with the cigar. And Kolchak laments that if all the film he's had confiscated by the police were lined up end to end, he'd have enough to shoot War and Peace, plus a travelogue and a cartoon. And Lamont wants to know what he and Verheiden were talking about. And Verheiden is obviously dead, so he can't answer. Yeah, or they'd be talking to him. So Yeah. (laughs) And Kolchak's like rocks. And so, you know, apparently they've been having this back and forth for a while and she's like you better start talking or i'll guarantee you a graduate degree in license plate making at the state farm 
And Kolchak leans back in his chair and he's like, whatever happened to the sweet Irene Lamont that we all know and love? Hmm? All those poor bums down in the press department are always having that pretty refrain, Irene, Irene, loveliest cop I've ever seen. And she's fuming and she's like, you don't know how bad I can be. And he's like, oh, I've got a pretty good idea. But then the cigar chomping dude steps up and he's like, Lieutenant Lamont, if you don't mind. And so Lamont steps away and he goes over and he tries to play good cop with Kolchak. And he's like, I don't know how long I can hold her off. So just cooperate. Open up with me. But Kolchak's like, open up, huh? Yeah, well, you see, it's the little things. Like how you've kept a lid on this mess, General. And he's like, uh, it's Colonel. And he's like, oh, well, you'll make General someday. So, yeah. 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 Military. Yep. Yeah. So definitely not water department. (laughs) So Kolchet posits a scenario to the colonel. He says, maybe you're thinking that there's more of these creatures running around. Maybe they'll get into the secret silos, the underground missile bases and the SAC bases, which is strategic air command. Maybe they have already done that. Did you ever think that the creatures might be down in the subways too and in the underground tunnels and underground garages? Did you ever think about that? And then he asked when they plan to warn the general public about this. Because obviously if they're underground, like just like military stuff is the only stuff that's underground, right? And the colonel's face tells us that Kolchak's scenario probably isn't far from the mark. You probably guessed right what's going on. And he grimaces and he says, when we feel the time is right. And Kolchak's like, who is we? Uh, very X-Files going on here in this one, for sure. <laughs> and then the lights go out. And we see the creature is like busting through a wall that has like a set of breakers on it. So by busting through the wall, he's like apparently like just wrecking all the lights and all the lights mm-hmm. go out. And so in the cafeteria, the colonel turns on a flashlight, probably Kolchak's because they confiscated it from him when they captured him. But Kolchak is gone. And he's like, check the hall. So the emergency lighting is on in the hallways and Kolchak goes back to Verheiden's office and the place is wrecked. But he finds a working flashlight and he finds the pickaxe that Verheiden tried to attack the creature with. And then he hears a distant roar. So he goes out in the hallway and he hears someone running and it's Chapman and he is scared shitless. And Kolchak like stops him and is like, hey, he asked where Verheiden kept all his specimens. Like, where does he keep them when they're not in his lab? And Chapman is like, Verheiden's dead and I'm getting out of here. And Kolchak's like, no, no, no. Verheiden found something the creature's after and I have to find it. And Chapman's like, you are on your own. And he runs away. Kolchak then manages to find the storm on his own, though. It's an 055, so not really that far away. But it's locked. But he has a pickaxe. So Mm -hmm. locks don't matter. And he goes inside. And the place is just full of rocks. Mm -hmm. And he hears the roars again. And then he goes out and he looks down the hallways. And the roars are, like, echoing. So he can't really tell which direction they're coming from. Or, you know, how close they are even. So he goes back in the storeroom and then he sees this metal cabinet. It's got a lock on it. But again, he's got a pickaxe. So he busts the lock open and he opens the cabinet. And inside is the large rock that Verheiden found. And so Kolchak lifts it out of the cabinet and puts it on a table. And he like gets his flashlight and he looks inside. He's kind of like, what? And then he kind of like gingerly reaches inside and pulls out this blue egg shaped object. It's very shiny. And apparently it also mm-hmm. stinks, which is why maybe his office stinks too. And he does some like non-scientific evaluation, which means you know, he shakes it, right? And he's kind of like, oh, like does that thing in your hand where you're like, oh, how heavy is this? And he says, it's an egg. And then apparently there's more inside. He sets the one egg down that he was holding on the table. 
And then he carries the rocky nest over to the electric cart. He puts it on the cart and he hears the creatures getting closer. So then he goes back in the storeroom and he makes a makeshift torch out of a stick and some towels and some twine. And then he grabs his flashlight and his do-it-yourself torch and he goes out to the cart. And then we see the shadow of the creature coming down the hall and the creature itself turns the corner and Kolchak takes off in the cart and the creature follows. But yeah. they, did, hmm, they left an egg in the storeroom. Mm. Yeah. So then we basically get a replay of the scenes we got at the very beginning with Kolchak driving the cart and, you know, looking over his shoulder and he gets to section R where the caves are and he stops the vehicle and he looks back into the tunnel and we see the shadow of the creature approaching. And then we get Kolchak holding his recorder and, you know, basically pick up right where we left off in the opening narration. And he's like, so here I am in a few minutes. It'll be here too. If I don't make it and this tape is ever found, you'll at least know what happened. My only hope is that it'll take its nest and go. If it won't, then good luck. So then Kolchak carries the nest over to an open area and kind of sets it on the ground. And then he steps back behind the vehicle and grabs his makeshift torch and starts to light it. And we see the creature is like smashing all the lights in the cave, just like it did when it attacked Coogan, right? And so the only light is Kolchek's torch, which finally catches and reveals the creature right in front of him. So he jabs the creature and he shouts to keep it back and it doesn't really work. And he's kind of backed against the wall of the rock and the creature knocks the torch from his hand and it flickers to the ground and Kolchek throws his arms up to protect himself, but nothing attacks him. So he's kind of like, huh? So after a few seconds, Kolchek looks and then he grabs the torch from the ground and we see the creature is walking away further down the hall, carrying the nest. <gasps> it is a commercial. Mm-hmm. And then we buy some stuff and we come back and Kolchak is holding his torch and otherwise without the torch it is totally black in the cave. And he goes over the cart and he grabs his recorder and he's like, I know what's going to happen now as far as the authorities are concerned. The events of April 20th and 21st will have never occurred. They're going to tell me that if I ever breathe a word of this, they're going to break me like a straw man. But what about the sentry? Will its eggs hatch in the warm, dark, dank dampness of its nesting place? Who knows? Maybe the government will find the nest. Maybe they won't. We'll probably never know. But if you're in the subway or in a pedestrian tunnel underneath a ballpark and you think you hear something moving in the walls... It may not be your imagination. Take my advice. Don't walk. Run to the nearest exit. And as he starts talking about the government finding the nest, he starts walking towards the edge of like there's this twist in the cave, like a corner. And then when he gets to his final words, he runs down it, disappearing. And the flicker of his torch dims and the screen goes black. Mm -hmm. And sadly at least continuity-wise, that is the last we will ever see of Carl Kolchek on our screens. And we get the end credit sequence. Yeah. It's the last episode. It is, yeah. Which yeah. is kind of a shame that it's the last one because it's not really a great one. And so it kind of sucks that like that's where they went out. <laughs> oh, yeah. Well, we know where Tori is heading when we get to the rating section. Oh, yeah. right. Well, I mean, just okay. like you had mentioned that it felt like they were trying to fill time. It did feel a lot. There were a lot of yeah. shots where it was very long, like Lamont walking into the police station 
and we're going to follow her for a long way. And like both shots of him driving the cart. And like, there were other shots that just felt very much like they didn't, they had to fill some time. And yeah. so they were just trying yeah, to they came back. They out. came back from that. They came back from that one commercial. We were just doing like city before they went to the INS office. And it was, mm-hmm. it was just a cityscape, which they usually do that. And they have the credits running underneath. Right. Cause they don't want like action or dialogue under the credits. Cause you get distracted. Cause you can't read and think at the same time or something, apparently. But like, it was basically that, but without credits. And so it was just, it definitely felt a little bit like padding. Yeah. yeah like they needed, they didn't quite have enough story. Which is crazy. Cause a see. lot of stuff does happen in this episode. And yeah, it does. And yeah, yeah it didn't quite have 52 minutes worth of content somehow um, yeah yeah so as we had said and have said several times it was canceled this was the last episode it was not meant to be the last episode right so we don't get like a cool cliffhanger mm-hmm. or we don't just wrap up the story and like and then everyone lived happily ever after kind of thing. Yeah. Right? Or show Kolchak finally like- getting a story in the paper about his paranormal stuff. You know, that would have been yeah. good. Yeah. Um, do you know why it was canceled so abruptly? Because I know because the ratings, the go- ratings were the ratings were super bad. Uh, OK, so it's just a ratings thing. The ratings actually weren't like Darren McGavin has talked about Kolchak because it's almost like. I don't know if you know the stories about Orson Welles and trying to make the Man of La Mancha. That was always like his dream yes. thing. Yeah, there's really a, got around to doing it. Terry there's Gilliam a, has I mean, a great documentary about that. Oh, yeah. The Man from La Mancha. Yep. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So this isn't exactly like that, but this has always been kind of one of those things where like Darren McGavin was really invested in doing this series and just like things just kept happening. Like they weren't getting like proper support from the network. Mm-hmm. You know, they couldn't get, you know, just a lot of stuff. Right. And so he had mentioned like, the, you know, they, 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 they put the show in like at the death slot of like 10 o'clock yeah. on a Friday night, but it actually did really well at 10 o'clock on a Friday night, which is like, it got really good ratings at that time, but then they switched it to eight o'clock. Mm-hmm. And we mentioned it before when they did that, that it went right up against Chico and the man and Sanford and son. Sanford and Son, more importantly, because Sanford and Son was definitely a more established show, whereas Chico and the Man had started basically the same season that Kolchak did. So it was kind of a newer show, but it was still they were half hour shows. No one was going to switch in the middle. Right. And so the ratings just were dismal at eight o'clock. And so, yeah. It's a shame they didn't just let it finish its six episodes. Yeah, but they weren't, you know, they weren't, they weren't getting any ad support for the show. Like they weren't yeah. getting promotional stuff, you know, anything like that. So yeah, it's just kind of like, that's kind of his thing. Like it's always been like that. Like I said, it's not exactly like the Man of La Mancha, but it's always been that kind of thing. It's kind of like, you know, it what it could have been. And yeah. So. Well, there are a lot of shows like that where the network, like network support, especially back even just 10, 15 years ago was like, vital and like even now there'll be stuff on netflix that netflix like commissions and produces and then doesn't advertise and then they you know ax it after one season because it's not getting ratings and it's like well of course it's not getting ratings no one knows it's there yeah of course nowadays though i mean there's so much stuff that like you you honestly even if the stuff you're you're producing you can't advertise everything you're doing because they're right so much content oh for um, we sure. are talking we are talking about a time when they were like three network channels and that was pretty much it so right well and you didn't have as many you had a lot of like game shows and stuff you probably didn't have as many like 
hardcore drama shows and like you know you just didn't have as much stuff because you didn't have the budget for as many shows yeah. or I mean, you know yeah, and, and, side and TV networks stations, to throw them on yeah and tv station even the major stage i mean we only had the three major networks basically right but even they didn't produce content like 24 7 it was like you know they shut down like at 11 o'clock at night like the, the 11 o'clock news would end and then it would be like they play the national anthem and it would be like static until like four o'clock in the morning when the farm report would come on or something so it was crazy yeah i mean yeah it's just too bad though because like again it's it's gotta suck to be working on a show and know that you only have a couple left and then they just come in and like nope never mind you're done and you know you're just done that's it can't do anything especially because then like he lived long enough to know that like you know it became like like a cult thing right i mean right you know, the night stalker and all that kind of stuff so to know that like there was no support it died right and then like what could it have been on top of that like you know it you think it could have been something better and then you realize all these people like totally love what you did like after the fact and we're like it could have definitely carried on but yeah hmm, although yeah. it's good that he did live long enough to know that because like you know people appreciated it and it's good that people he knew that yeah but he also a fan base for it but <laughs> It's one of the you can you can also understand why like he was so invested in this. It's also one of the reasons why like you know you know we've talked about several times how like Chris Carter totally wanted him to be like on the X Files right. He wanted him to be Mulder's dad. He wanted him to play the senator. He wanted him to like he wanted him to be Kolchek. But like obviously there's rights to that kind of thing going on too. But like he was just like no no like he just he didn't want to have anything to do with it anymore because it was like you know it was probably painful to think about. So why do you want to relive that? So anyway yeah. but yeah so because it got canceled before it was supposed to be done mm-hmm. there are at least that we are aware of there were like three scripts that never got produced so i i don't know like what like if they're totally finished scripts but right. we have stories they were yeah. at least and, like this is what we're gonna do for the next few episodes yeah so and i think the they are available in certain places um i've never read them personally so the plot descriptions we're going to talk about are actually coming straight from Wikipedia, just for full disclosure here. <laughs> A so, podcast taking things from Wikipedia, unheard I of. I know, crazy. <laughs> yeah. So the first one, and I'm assuming these are like maybe in order, like this would have been like 21, 22, 23. I don't mm-hmm. know. But the first one is Eve of Terror, which was written by Stephen Lord, who also has the story credit for Demon in Lace. And that one, it says the story is summed up by one of Kolchak's lines in the episode. What if I told you that a deranged feminist murdered a Casanova lab technician, a sex goddess, and her purveyor? Hmm. That one, I have no idea what the hell is going on. because it's just, No. I mean, yeah, I can it's, kind it's of guess to... that it's not going to look good for feminists, but also like it's right. probably going to be some like pickup artist type dude that she kills because he's like a yeah pickup, i don't I don't know and then like <laughs> is sex goddess a goddess or is it just like a, you know like a starlet kind of thing and then like where does the cold chick part come in because like none of that if you're thinking like sex goddess is just like movie star or whatever like that like none of that seems like you know any kind of monster or something like that it's like where does that fit in so there's no idea what's going on and her purveyor no idea mm, no so, clue mm-hmm. yeah the other one is called the git of Belial, and it was written by Don Mullaney, who got teleplay credit on the Devil's Platform. And in that one, Kolchek is assigned to cover a minor strike in the mountains of West Virginia. 
and he uncovers gruesome murders associated with a backwoods family, and Colchester suspects that they have some sort of inbred monster living with them. <gasps> oh my god. I wonder if Chris Carter has like I mean, he, he probably knows this. I wonder if he's seen these scripts because that's really similar to the episode Home. It's oh. not entirely similar, but it's it's very similar. So, yeah. I mean, well, I mean, I've seen Home in years and years. Yeah. So if There are also similar things like that. Oh, too. for sure. Yeah. Oh, yeah. So, I just, I wonder if yeah. maybe like some inspiration going on. Although who knows? Maybe Chris Carter has no idea what the last episodes of Colchick would have looked like. I can't yeah, imagine he probably. wouldn't have looked it up, but anyway. He probably does, but yeah. But, you know creative stuff steals from stuff all the time oh um, for sure i'm not gonna say like oh you're a thief but like oh, we no. have talked about x-files episodes they're like that is exactly the plot of this so yeah i mean it's it's inspiration it's homage it's taking an idea that's been done a million times and doing it your own way it's and also like really how many people are gonna know that it was the story from an unproduced script from cold check right right well i'm not saying he stole that story i'm just wondering if that maybe no was part of but i mean even if it's even if it's like really close to it like how many right. people are really going to be like oh that's exactly like the unproduced story of cold check <laughs> yeah and i don't from think 1975. that there so, are yeah. minors in that one i'm sure it's much different it just i could definitely see that being inspiration although i don't even know if chris Carter wrote that episode so uh who knows that's yeah. in the future and we're not there yet no, I don't even think that. And then the one. final one that we know about is called The Executioners. It was written by Max Hodge, who actually has uncredited script work on the Night Stalker movie. I guess he did like some script doctoring stuff at one point. Okay. He's also, though, responsible for renaming the comic book villain Mr. Zero as Mr. Freeze for the 1966 Batman TV show. So he, he worked on that. He worked on a lot of TV shows. Nice. But he, previously in the comic books, Mr. Freeze was always known as Mr. Zero. And then they renamed him for the TV show. And then they took that for the comic. And then, of course, then Mr. Freeze was kind of revamped again in Batman the Animated Series. And the like the origin we know for him in the Batman the Animated Series has kind of become the original. He had like a different origin in the original comic mm-hmm. with Mr. Freeze. But if you so, were a kid like me who was born in the 80s, Batman the Animated Series is where everything comes from because... Yeah, and that's pretty much become like all the comics <laughs> have retconned. Have right. Retconned. That's, that's his origin, right? He exactly, because I've read comics later, but... yeah. I've no. read a lot of like Nightwing and Batgirl and stuff and yeah. some of the... Batman I mean, Harley ones. Quinn is a character developed for the animated series and it's yeah. like a super popular. She's, she's in movies she's in comics awesome. she's in everything but she was created for that animated series so yeah, yeah. it's very uh very influential anyway, on bat yeah. cannon yeah in that story we actually have kind of the most information kolchek is demoted and given the choice of writing obituaries or writing articles for the art section so he's been threatened with that before but apparently this time it actually happens and he chooses a ladder the art section and discovers a painting tied to a series of murders that Vincenzo is covering. So Vincenzo is doing some reporting work now. And the murders occur in a series of three in which the first victim is hanged, the second is executed with an axe, and the third is poisoned. And working with an art expert, Kolchek attempts to unravel what or who is behind these bizarre murders and what they have to do with the painting, all without letting Vincenzo know that he is working on the same story. Oh my god. That, that sounds like that would have been an amazing episode. That would have been so, so good. So good. I'm really sad we didn't yeah. get to see that one. The other two, eh. I mean, again, we don't get a lot of information about them, so who no. knows? It could have been amazing. But the premise of the executioners is so great. I would have loved to see Vincenzo. Yeah, doing we some can reporting. basically 
write the entire script from that description because you can yeah you've got you've almost got all the beats right there boom like murder murder like we've got three murders we've got to go back in time it's happened before he's obviously going to be trying to dodge vincenzo a lot we also get the scene of him like getting demoted in the beginning probably so yeah good yeah, stuff that would, good stuff that's that would a shame. Be amazing yeah, yeah. <gasps> what could I have think been at least the first two have been published that you can actually buy them I mean, i think there also are comic books of those episodes as well okay that would make sense probably from moonstone because they tend to do all the check comics which again i don't really collect i've seen them i think i've read one or two i mentioned this before and i don't know if this is the case for all of them but it's one of those kind of things where like the art isn't super great and so that kind of with comics if art isn't great it pulls me out i can't read the story so uh, maybe I should go back and try and just read the story because at least it'd be the script, right? And I can get the gist. So we probably would have like all the beats in these, but yeah, I don't know. Maybe that's a job for another time and another Patreon exclusive episode. Anyway, Sue, uh, Toriel, <laughs> what did you think of the century, the final episode of Colcheck the Night Stalker? Well, I didn't, I mean, I'm normally we talk about Subways, this stuff. Man, yeah, yeah, that was actually pretty, pretty rocking. Normally we talk about this stuff in like while we're talking about it. I didn't really bring it up, but like the costume is bad, but it's not just that it's a bad costume. There's also like a puppet at one point that's like breaking through the wall in Verheiden's office or whatever. So, I mean, that's fine. Again, I can forgive that stuff. It's just kind of funny because it's just it's really not good. Yeah. Um, and also aside from like, just be like a bad costume, right? It's also like, so it, the reason why it looks like an, an upright alligator is because the monster's head is actually facing up the entire time. So it's like you tipped an alligator up and just gave it longer back legs. Because like mm-hmm. it can't see what it's doing because its eyes are like in the back of its head because its lower jaw is what's facing everybody. So yeah. it never like silly. bends its head down to look at people and like roar. But yeah. But yeah, I mean, I just felt like this one, again, there was just a lot of filler. They were trying to extend things out. It was a funny premise. It just, I feel like they, I don't know. I feel like they could have probably done more with it and done it better. And it just wasn't as good as some of their episodes. I'll just. I mean, it's it's lizards living under the earth. I mean, that's a, that's a very fertile ground. No pun intended. So yeah, it could have. Yeah. Could have done more, but it's, it's, you know, it is what it is. It wasn't terrible. Lamont was great. And, you know, she and Kolchak did have good chemistry. It was the scenes with Vincenzo were good. Like, none of it was bad. It just wasn't, like, the most exciting episode. And it did feel, like, a little bit like things were just being stretched out because they just had to fill time and they didn't yeah. know what to do. I mean, and again, it was it was just, an, we've had other episodes that were kind of like, oh, you know. And again, even though it's the last one, we tend to put more on it. But it is, it is just another episode. Yeah, well, because like- it wasn't meant to be like a series finale or a season finale it was just this is the one they happen to get cut off on and so that sucks because it's really not that good the last episode was very good they've had some really stellar episodes i feel like this one isn't it's not terrible it's not like it was unwatchable or boring or offensive it was just kind of like eh so i think i'm just gonna give it a five okay well i'm gonna flip flop again and i'm gonna do the opposite of what i did last time which is the opposite of what i did the time before is i'm gonna go one higher than you i'm gonna go with a six <laughs> okay i mean that's so, yeah it's it's solid yeah. i feel like they just had a lot more potential than was realized and again <gasps> like, oh no you know i mean that is unfortunately the show too like they could have done a lot your more. mode changed oh no 
It did. Your mode just went from a seven to a five. Oh, holy crap. Yeah. That's crazy. I mean, just because it's the number you use most. So, mm. yeah. Uh, mine stayed mine stayed a seven. So, I mean, my last two episodes have been a seven. So, but yeah, your mode. Yeah, I typed in and boom, your mode changed. <laughs> Whoops. Oh, Tori, it's fine. Oh, it's all right. It's fine. It's fine. I still like you, Kolchak. This just wasn't a great ending. And I'm sure they felt that way, too. Like, I'm sure somebody oh, who worked on the show I mean, was like are you kidding any, that was our yeah. last episode like i mean oh. yeah any un, any intended ending is not a good ending so no no unintended i left a syllable out of that <laughs> I so yes yeah all righty well we are gonna have a wrap-up for Colcheck. Mm-hmm. i have come up with the cool title of Colcheck versus the night stalker Mm-hmm. <laughs> so uh yeah so we will talk we will not only talk about the series but we will also talk about the two movies that preceded it mm-hmm. the night stalker and the night strangler so i would say tune in but that you don't like tune in you just download the podcast if you're a patreon subscriber so or it shows <laughs> up in your feed automatically because you have a special rss feed that gives you all this cool material that we're doing yeah, you can so, just throw that in Apple Podcasts. It works real easily. Also, Overcast. I threw it in Overcast too, and it worked. Yeah, so it will. It should work in any. Mm-hmm. Yeah, those are just the hopefully two I've tried. Hopefully, you figure that out by now. This isn't like your first episode you're listening to, and I'm like, oh. And also, how would you know? Because you haven't been listening because you can't figure it out, and so you wouldn't. Well, you can just listen on Patreon, which honestly is what I do a lot of times yeah, for podcasts can. that I subscribe. Is I just get that email and I just click over to Patreon and I just play it on my computer. Whereas usually I listen to podcasts on my phone. So it just depends on what the podcast is. But yeah, a lot of the Patreons yeah. I subscribe to, I just listen on my computer and I don't bother with putting the RSS feed into my podcast app. So it's, you know, whatever you prefer. Yeah. And honestly, again, time. Um, as we're recording this, the Patreon hasn't actually started. No. But when you hear this, it's going to be like... A <laughs> couple months in, yeah. 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 So, uh, yeah. Anyway, yeah. maybe we shouldn't record so far ahead. This is weird. Anyway. <laughs> gotta do what you gotta do man so yeah thanks. yeah thanks for supporting us and come back for a cold check wrap up what she said bye bye i want to rewatch is hosted by tori and nick and recorded at black cat studios hashtag religious bedroom closet episode production design and editing is by lazy end productions our music is dark science by david hillowitz and The Truth is What We Make of It by The Agrarians. Our premium feed is where you can find all of our X-Files adjacent bonus episodes covering television and films that are, you guessed it, X-Files adjacent. If you like these bonus episodes, tell a friend about our Patreon page. We'd love to have them join us. Speaking of which, be sure to join us next time for our wrap-up discussion, Kolchek versus The Night Stalker. And try to figure out if the truth is still out there. The truth is what we make of it.
Anyway, travel alone and don't trust other people. <laughs> trust no one. Trust no one, because goddamn. How many times <laughs> do we have to freaking say it? That's why it's me and my cats against the world. I don't trust any of you jerks. Trust no one.